Well, how many of you are visiting? I'm sorry, I didn't get to see. How many? Wow, that's a lot. Where, where our people go tonight? <laughs> nice day. They're like, whoo, gone. Well, we're going to have a good time tonight. Um, let's give you a report on my mom. For those of you who don't know, my mom has, has, has had cancer and went through an operation. And, um, and then, uh, let's see, the Saturday before Easter... We got a call from the doctor and said, I want to meet you on Monday. I want to meet the whole family on Monday. And uh, then on Easter morning at 10 o'clock, my mom woke up out of a coma. (laughs) Pretty cool. We drove down there Monday and met with the doctor. All of our family drove down there and met with the doctor. And the doctor's like, well, I was actually gathered the family so I could talk to you about, I forget what they call it, pulling the plug, taking her off of life support and because I didn't think she was going to make it, but obviously your mom's awake, and we're in the room with my mom. He looks at my mom, and he goes, well, you have nine lives, and you used four of them this week. So my mom's out of the hospital, in rehab, and doing wonderful. So, thank you, everyone who prayed. We need to keep praying, though, you know. I'm convinced that Napoleon said the object of war is victory, but the object of victory is occupation. And I think that we've often known victory without occupation because we we stop when we get the enemy on the run and we don't finish him off, and so he lives to come back another time. And so I want to make sure this is done. I don't want to do this again. Too much stress. I wanted to be like Enoch, you know, just walked with God and wasn't. You know, I want I want that too. You know, God just kisses you into heaven. It's like, oh, I can't wait for you to be here with me. So, let's just do this right now. Well, why don't you just grab a hand of the person next to you, and, and we're just gonna we're gonna pray for the the night. Lord, we just thank you for everything that's happened already, and the atmosphere that you created for people's expectation to grow and to see their their destiny and their purpose fulfilled in the earth. And Lord, we just release a sense of purpose and destiny tonight. And Lord, we, just, we break off the shackles that are actually in between our ears that keep us from actually believing that we could change the world. And Lord, we just release a, sense of, uh, a, a deep sense of faith in every single person that they specifically are called by God to make a difference. And we just, we just release that over every person. We pray for expectation to grow in the room right now. We pray for expectation, as Bill spoke this morning, that expectation would just grow in our hearts, grow in this room, grow in our hearts, and together there would just be a culture of faith. We just bless your people, we just bless what, what happens the rest of the night too. Amen. It's, it's really uh, interesting, this happens to Bill and I quite, a, quite often, actually. We're, actually, we were talking about it this morning. Um, two weeks ago, um, I spoke on a Sunday night. How many of you were here? Bill was not here. Uh, he was traveling and speaking someplace else. And uh, I spoke on, where's your faith? How many of you were here for that? Where's your faith? And this morning, and last night, I was just, um, just preparing my heart for what, what I was going to share today. And I was reading uh, Hebrews 10, 11, and 12, and I was going to just do part two of where's your faith. And my message was going to be called Enduring Faith. <laughs> When I came this morning and Bill was preaching on enduring faith and I'm, I was using the same verses and I'm like, all right, he's going to think I'm like, you know, a carbon copy. I'm a little Bill. The way I get my messages, I listen to Bill and then I just repeat what Bill said. So, um, 
And I even, on, on two Sundays ago, I even used the same examples of Gideon. If you were here, you know, I shared the Gideon story about the 300 men. Um, I shared um, uh, the Joshua story. I shared Joshua story. I shared walking around the walls, not talking. Remember all that? So I just want you to know I did it first. <laughs> you know, brothers from a different mother. <laughs> Same father, though. Um, anyway, I want to just take off from where uh, I left off uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and um, you know, I shared the story, back to actually uh, talked about Bill using this story quite often about the, the disciples in the storm and how Jesus said to the disciples, let's go to the other side, and then Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Remember the story? And uh, Bill's told that story many times, and how the disciples, they, they woke Jesus up and said, don't you care that we're perishing, and Jesus calmed the storm, and then turned to them and said, where's, where's your faith? I'm like, uh, my faith is in you, I woke you up. <laughs> and, um, and of course, uh, we've talked about that story so many times, it's kind of been maybe a foundation of... of uh, Many messages that we, we we've, that we spoke here, but and, and the the point of that message is Jesus said we're going to the other side. He said we're going to the other side. How many know when the Lord says you're going to the other side, you're going to get to the other side. Sometimes you have to remember when you're on the boat what Jesus said before you get to the other side that you're going to the other side. And uh, and Bill uh, shared many messages about the fact that the disciples woke Jesus up, which was great. You know they called on God. But he had already given them what they needed. They didn't need to wake him. They, they had forgotten their faith. And then when they land, uh, Matthew's chapter 17, they land on the shore and there's, uh, or I, I think this is a different, actually a different uh, story, but they land on the, they're, they're on the, they come, Jesus, uh, yes. It was awesome. How many of you received that? Those are the prophetic people right there. Jesus comes down from, this, from the mountain and, there's, and the disciples are trying to cast a demon out of this boy. And you probably know that story too. It's in Matthew 17, recorded there once at least. And Jesus goes and casts the, demons out, the demon out of that boy. And, and the disciples are interacting with Jesus in verse 19. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive that demon out? And he said to them, Because the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed... You'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it shall be moved, and nothing will be impossible to you. That's interesting. This is part of what I shared uh, a couple weeks ago. But the, you know, it's interesting. Jesus said, if you have just the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, you know, be lifted up, be cast out into the sea, or be moved from this place to that place. It'll be done for you. Nothing will be impossible to you. And it, it's interesting, the word littleness there does not, is not um, indicative of the size of your faith, but... The, it's actually, um, it actually means, it means uh, brief, briefly, or for a while. And I, and I tied it to the story where Jesus says, where is your faith? It's not that they didn't have enough faith, it's that they did, it was just brief faith. Like, they didn't keep it with them. How many of you have ever had a little, a, a little bit of faith, but you left it at the shore? <laughs> and Jesus goes on to say, if you just had a mustard seed of faith, it's not the size of your faith, but whether you carry it with you always. How many of you have had great faith for one thing and you get in a smaller circumstance and you're wondering what happened and where Jesus, why didn't he come through? And it's not that you didn't have enough faith, it's that you forgot to bring it with you. You only had it for a while. It means briefly. Great 
So I want to move on in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Why don't you turn there? There's some actually pretty wild verses. I'm not going to actually speak on the whole chapter, but verse 32. But remember the former days when you being enlightened, when after being enlightened, you endured great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers of those who were so treated. You showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession, a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, everybody say confidence, which has a great reward. You have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet a very little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith for the the preserving of the soul. Look, here's the next verse. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And and by it, the men of old gained approval. Uh, this This is interesting because God is talking about faith that actually manifests not in this case, not in our relationship to a problem, not in the, not in the challenge of our daily life, not in the middle of a, so much a, a tribulation, although he talks about trials here, but he's talking about faith that, that gives us confidence in his presence. And when I come into his presence, I can, I am, I'm to come boldly and not shrink back. And God says, when I come with confidence into his presence, then I have applied the blood of Jesus to my life. And actually that confidence in which I stand before God is actually his confidence coming from his blood. His redemptive, his redemptive act on the cross gives me confidence to stand before God in faith. Are you with me? In other words, I don't know if you're like this, but I think we've all experienced this sense that when we see the greatness of God, we feel unworthy of his presence. Have you ever been in a, in a service or in a place where the presence of God gets so thick that your natural response is to withdraw into the sense of, I'm not worthy of this. These other people are probably better than me. And God says, listen, one of the ways that you, ha- you show me that you have faith is that you have confidence in my presence and that you don't shrink back. And then he begins to tell us what faith is that gives us confidence in the presence of God. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. seen." And listen to the second part of that. And by it, men of old gained approval. Why does he say by it, men of old gained approval? Because he's talking about our confidence, the confidence we we have when we stand before God. In other words, he's saying, "As as it refers to your confidence before God, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, uh, the evidence of things not yet seen. And people of old gained approval. They were able to come into God's presence with great confidence because they had faith that what he did gave them righteousness before him. Are you with me? And so, so faith isn't just for a problem. It's also for our position, our stance before God. That I can come before God boldly with confidence and I can stand in his presence Fully worthy, not because I deserve it, but because he does. Yeah. 
Has anyone ever lacked confidence? (laughs) Has anyone ever got in the presence of God and remembered everything you did wrong? This is what he's talking about. He's talking about when you get before this God, in fact, fact, the Hebrew writer says, our God is a consuming fire. Well, that gives me lots of confidence. (laughs) Here's the God who's a consuming fire. And he said, this is what I want you to do. When you see the consuming fire, step in. Don't shrink back. He goes, men of old did it. (laughs) They had faith. What did they have faith as? When they stick their head in the lion's jaw, he isn't going to chop their head off. Because he has redeemed them and he sees you through the blood of Jesus. In fact, the Hebrew writer writes previously to this, if you step on the blood of Jesus, there is no more more redemption because the best he has is the blood of Jesus. In other words, if if you can't come with confidence before the blood of Jesus, what else is there? There's not another sacrifice. There's nothing better. Well, I'm going to wait till, you know, when I really get my life together. No, 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 no. The blood of Jesus made you righteous. (laughs) When I get this bad habit out of my life. No, no, the blood of Jesus made you righteous. No, when I, you know, I get this thing out of my life, you know, when I start. No, no, that's all good. Get that out of your life. But you don't come boldly before God because of what you did. You came boldly because of what he did. The, The men of old gained approval through their faith, not through their acts. And by the way, if you have faith, your acts will clean up. But you're, you're not going to clean up on the outside of the kingdom. You're going to get in there and everything you need is going to be there. Some, I don't know, as a young man, I met a lot of people that are like getting ready to meet God. That's like getting ready to have a baby. No, sorry. I think it's funny when people are like, we're going to get ready to have a child. It's their first child. You always know it's their first one. Because the second one, you realize there ain't no getting ready for that. <laughs> they mean they're going to paint the bedroom and have some money. <laughs> ain't no money going to get you ready for that. We're going to have a crib and we're going to be ready. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Moms know, man. They don't want no amount of money. No one can pay you to stay up for 48 hours and listen to a screaming kid and still love it. This is the act of God. You can't get ready for God. Well, I'm going to get my life together, then I'm going to receive Jesus. No, you need to get your life together so, and you need to receive Jesus so you can get your life together. The point of the cross is you couldn't do it. Listen, it's been an experiment, went on for thousands of years. 500 years before Christ, Isaiah cried out, there's none righteous, not even one. I don't think it was a great prophecy. I think he was just like, oh my God. 6,000 years of this and not one righteous person. So I'm just saying like the experiment has been 100% failure. Like trying to get in through your works hasn't worked. Trying to get in through your works. Yeah, it sounded stupid, but it was the right thing. So now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. How many of you know you can't have faith until you've had hope? Hope feels, faith sees, and love never fails. Hope is that, it's hope, in fact, the word hope comes from the word to wait expectantly. So, if you have hope, but you don't yet have faith, when someone says, you say, man, I just have this sense that something good's about to happen to me. How many are you supposed to have that all the time? Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good, for those who love God and call according to his purposes. How many of you love God? How many are called according to his purposes? So all things, that's all. 
So if you're, if you're in the middle of a problem, just say all. All. You're part of all. All things work together for good in the end. So how many know if it's not good, it isn't the end? <laughs> if it's not good, it's not the end. So if you have hope, but you don't yet have faith, hope says, I have this, I have this sense that something good's about to happen to me. What is it? I don't know. Because hope feels. But hope is what gets me off the couch to look on the porch to see what faith might see. Hope is that sense I have, something's amazing about to happen. I have no idea. It's going to be money. It's going to be one of my kids. Are going to, something, I'm going to get a Something amazing is going to happen. What is it? I have no idea. I just have this deep sense. I have this expectation. I have this weight with expectation that says, I don't know what it is, but something amazing is about to happen. And listen, this is directly related in the context of being in his presence. So I, I enter his presence with confidence, even though this, he's a consuming fire. I look around, there's fire, there's thunder, there's all this crazy stuff. And my, my, my flesh says, you should stay out here. You could be a barbecue. And my spirit says, I'm going in because of what he did. And then when I get in there, I have hope that while I'm in here, something amazing is about to happen. This guy gives good gifts. <laughs> Going to Father's house is a little scary, but I always leave with more than I had. Came with. I, I, think, I think it was uh, Olivia um, Shoup who said, he who gives the most hope has the most influence. You know, the world's looking for hope. They're not looking for our negative eschatology or, okay, here's four more things you did wrong in case you didn't have a long enough list. We had some more rules we came up with with the elders. How many know that religion has more rules than God? When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, which I believe is a fig, because <laughs> they've been getting back at us ever since, them figs. When they ate the fruit, they knew they were naked. And God said to them, who told you you were naked? How many know the previous verse says they were naked and unashamed, but then they were naked and ashamed. When did that happen? When they ate from the wrong tree. You know, when you run from God, and you end up with more rules than God gave you. <laughs> and you couldn't keep the ones you had anyway without God. Much less the other ones you added. Do you know that God gave Moses 615 laws? No, I'm sorry, 215 laws. All the, law, all the Mosaic laws, 215 of them. You know when Jesus walked the earth in Judaism, the Pharisees and scribes, how many you know there wasn't Pharisees and Sadducees in the Old Testament? That was a religion that came out of, it was Judaism, it came out of Mosaic law. You know how many laws there were when Jesus walked the earth? 637. What happens when you get away from God? You just keep adding rules. Here's another rule. Here's another rule. How many know you couldn't keep the 215 he gave you without him? And so the world needs hope. Jeremiah 29, we all love this verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you a future and a hope. You know when God wrote that to Israel? When they were 70 years in captivity. Which makes it much more powerful. In the midst of your trial, goes, God goes, hey, uh, I got a good plan for you. It doesn't feel like it. Well, then you need to get hope because hope feels. It doesn't feel like you have a great plan for me. 
change your feeling. I love this. Um, Lamentations 3.21 says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. How do I get hope? I think of what God already did in my life. If you feel hopeless and you need to be hopeful, full of hope, you just need to go back to the times when you hoped and, see, and, and remember what God did when you were full of faith and full of hope. I, 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 um, I journal quite often, not every night, not every, not every day, but um, I always journal, almost always journal when I'm in tough times. So my journals look like I am um, bipolar. Because I typically write when I, I process by writing when I'm in a really tough time, so I'm writing all my bad feelings. And then I always go back to, okay, how am I going to get out of this? I have to remember all the good things God did for me. So the next page is all about the good things God did for me. And my grandkids get this book. I have like 30 of them. They're going to be like, grandfather had a really tough time <laughs> with depression. I love this. Psalms uh, 33, 17. Oh. Psalm, uh, Proverbs 21, 31. Let me say this one first. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Psalms 33, 17. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. What a great contrast in verses. On one side it says, a horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. But David wrote, a horse is a false hope for victory, it doesn't deliver anyone by its great strength. Have you ever had God to tell you to do something? Like prepare the horse. And you're like, okay, we're going to have a battle. Prepare the horse. And you spend, you know, maybe you spend months training the horse. This is a war horse. You're training the horse for battle. And then the battle is, is, uh, it, it begins and God goes, okay, we're not taking the horses. <laughs> what? You told me to prepare the horse. I didn't tell you to use them. I told you to prepare them. But actually, a horse is a false hope for victory. Why did you have me prepare him? So I'd know if you're faithful. But you know what? Whatever we prepare, we tend to put our hope in. So we tend to think, well, if God told me to prepare the horse, if God told me to do this stuff, then my hope is in that this stuff's going to work. And God's like, no, no, we're not even going to use that stuff. You prepared. I just wanted to know that you obeyed. In fact, we're not bringing horses at all. We're going to bring lanterns and candles and trumpets. Is there anybody else up there? Hebrews um, 11.3, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let me just read it again. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. How many know that faith is the catalyzing agent that when mixed with a dream becomes a reality? If I dream about great things and I don't sprinkle faith in it, it's just a pipe dream. But what happens when I dream and have faith for what I just dreamt? See, because the Bible says that everything that was seen was actually, it was actually first developed in the invisible realm. That God took things from the unseen world, he added faith to them, and by faith the worlds were made so that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. 
You have a dream. Awesome. You know what? Dreams are awesome. And dreams don't really come true unless you add faith to them. It isn't true that dreams come true unless you believe they can come true. And by the way, if you believe you can do it, and if you believe you can't do it, you're right. Because if you believe you can do it, you will. And if you believe you can't do it, you won't. Because whatever you believe is what you get. God, can you think about, think about this. God of the universe used faith to create the worlds. And you can use his faith to create your world. Hebrews 11.4, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Did you ever notice that the level of your faith determines the size of your sacrifice? Cain and Abel. Cain offered to God, he just gave God an offering. Abel took the best that he had and gave it to God. And the Bible says that the reason why Abel gave the best to God is because he had faith. In other words, your offerings determined by the level of your faith. I'm going to give God this little bit. Do you believe that you can't outgive God? Yeah. Why are you giving him a little bit then? I'm sorry. Have I offended you? How many of you believe you can't outgive God? How many of you give like you can't outgive God? That was a. Let's see, let's try that again. How many of you believe you can't outgive God? How many of you give like you can't outgive God? That is so strange. I wish you can all be up here. Almost everybody raised their hand for how many of you believe you can't outgive God. Let's do it again, everybody. How many of you give like you can't outgive God? Yeah, six of you. I'd like to suggest that when you say, I believe that, you, I can't, that I can't outgive God, that that's just an idea. It's a concept. You don't actually believe it, because if you believed it, then you would do. See, faith requires an action. Abel believed that God would reward him. And therefore, he gave his best, because he knew he'd get it back. Think about this. If you actually believe... I'm going to give God $10,000 and he's going to give me 100000 back. If you actually believe that. Would you not do it? Or why wouldn't you do it? It's like, hey honey, we're $1,000 short on the rent. Oh, give away, give, what do we have? Well, we got 2000 Give away the two we have and we'll get, the, we'll get it back. If you actually believe that, you would do it. I'm saying, here's where I'm going. Faith requires me to do something. It just doesn't just require me to get an idea. We're, you know, we're, we're reading... We're reading actions of people who had faith. Some of them gave a lot. Some of them trusted God in the presence of God. Some of them were considered righteous because they have faith. But all of them did something to acknowledge the fact that they believed God. Mm. Hebrews 11.5 By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not, it was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness before being taken that he was pleasing to God. <laughs> I love this. I was listening to um, Georgian Banoff and he was doing what Georgian does, telling stories. And by the way, if you didn't see Georgian last Sunday night, you should get the video. 
It was hilarious and incredibly brilliant. He did this role play and he played all the characters. <laughs> Only he could do that. I've never seen him do it before, but it was hilarious. But uh, last year he was talking about Enoch and how Enoch walked with God and was not. And he was talking about how God just started kissing him and just sucked him into him. <laughs> and he was like, oh, Enoch, I love you, I love you. Like, <laughs> Enoch walked with God and was not. And that was Georgian's rendition, rendition of what happened to Enoch. God just kissed him and he kissed him so much he just sucked him right inside himself. I don't know if that's biblical, but it's just awesome when you're so pleasing to God, God can't wait for you to die. So he's like, oh, we're, I'm getting you now. Verse 7, by faith Noah. Everybody say by faith. faith. By faith Noah being warned about God. Being warned by God, being warned about God. Watch out for God. He'll get you. <laughs> that's, that's a little... Okay, let's try it again. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about the things not yet seen. Did you get that? By things what? Not yet seen. Why does the Bible mention that? Because faith sees what is not yet seen. In reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of the, of the righteousness, which is according to faith. How many know faith built the boat while doubters drowned in a flood? I'm just saying to you, like, you raised your hand. How many of you believe? Don't raise your hand again. How many believe that, that you can't outgive God? Almost everybody raised their hand. How many actually give like you believe it? Almost no one raised their hand. That's my point. I'm like, hey, I want to see God move. Then you have to actually act like, you have to actually do acts as if what you believe, you believe to be true. So Noah built an ark where everyone else, all the doubters drowned in a flood. Why? Because Noah actually did something about what he believed. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed God by going to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, for he went out not knowing where he was going. This is a really great word for us, and I actually had a prophetic word over someone about five years ago, and I've actually used it later in a teaching. Some of you don't know where you're going, but you know where you can't stay. When God called Abraham and Sarah out of the Chaldeans, he said, leave your father's house, listen to this, to a place I will show you. If you would have met Abraham, let's say month one, Abraham, where are you going? I don't know. Well, why'd you leave? I know where I can't stay. And I, and I, I believe that there are people in this room, you, you, you left and you don't know where you're going. And you feel kind of crazy because you know, everyone around you is like, oh, where are you going? Um, we don't know. But you left your job for what? Yeah, I'm not sure. Now, let me get this right. You had a $100,000-a-year job, and you left there, and you're at Bethel. Yeah, and what are you doing there? Yeah, I'm not sure. But I have this sense that something good's about to happen to me. <laughs> okay, we got to do this. 
if you're like, if you don't know where you're going, but you know where you can't stay on, you just stand right now. We're going to pray for y'all. It's probably all the people who didn't give. <laughs> you're like, I'm lost. I'm keeping all this money just in case. <laughs> extend. <laughs> I don't know who's going to be left to extend hands. <laughs> what was this? You guys were all lost. <laughs> Maybe if we just hang out together, you know. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And I wonder how many people are standing watching I Bethel TV like, Honey, come in here. The Lord has a word for us. We are lost by intention. Okay, I'm I'm going to pray for you all right now. I'm not exactly sure when I'm going to pray, but we'll see what comes out. So, Holy Spirit, we just pray right now for GPS, God Position Sensors. These people would be directed by the Holy Spirit. They wouldn't wander 40 years in the desert. They would go from the promise to the palace in in the right amount of time. The exact amount of time it takes them to prepare in the process for the palace, for the whatever it is you call them for. Lord, we just release that over them right now. We pray for protection. We pray for direction. We pray for that they would find their people, that they would find their tribe, that they would find... Lord, whether they're friends here or family, we just pray, God, the blessing of God, that it would increase on you. Like Abraham, he was, even though Abraham didn't know where he's going, he got rich doing it. Well, that's a good word. That's the truth. I pray that they would get blessed even while they're lost. In Jesus' name. All right, sit down. Verse 9, by faith... Abraham lived as an alien, that's a, and that's not like a Mars alien, some of our friends are teaching about aliens, by faith he lived as an alien, I'm sure they're like, it's an alien, see it's in the Bible, there are aliens in the Bible, <laughs> Amos, anyway, we're moving on, private joke, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promises, as, a, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fell heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for a city which had foundations and whose architect and builder is God. This is a very interesting verse. I'll tell you why. God promised Abraham a land. I don't know if you, if you caught what's going on here. Abraham goes into the land of promises with Isaac and Jacob, right? Only problem is that when he's in the land of promises, he doesn't even know it's a land of promise. You know why? Because he's looking... Not for an earthly city, but he's looking for a city that God is building. And he's so intrigued by this, by this vision that he has for a city that God would build without hands. How many know he saw you? Living stones being built up as a spiritual house. He's so intrigued by a living stones being built up as a spiritual house that he actually wanders right out of the promised land. And Isaac goes back in. It says, and Isaac settled in the land his father sojourned. He was so intrigued by God's promises that, that God was building a city not made with hands that when God took him into his promise, he was looking for something even better. And wandered right through it. And Isaac had to go back and settle it. The land of promises. Isn't it awesome when God gives you what you asked for and you weren't so intrigued by him, you don't even care? You're like, Lord, I want a house. God gives you a house and you're like, Whatever. Actually, I want you. Actually, thanks for the house. I'm really thankful for the house, by the way. I have to stay thankful. Thanks for the house. But 
I'm actually not satisfied with this thing. What I'm looking for is something that you built, that you, you were the architect and the builder, and it has foundations. That's what I'm looking for. You know, God trusted Abraham with wealth because he wanted heaven. And therefore, Abraham got wealthy because he didn't care about being wealthy. Proverbs says, when you... said, Proverbs says, seek from chasing wealth. Because as soon as you get your hands on it, it flies away like a bird. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, be careful... Teach those that are, want to be wealthy in this age that it's a snare. Now, if, you, if God makes you wealthy, that, what's the side? The, the side story is this. Abraham become, became extremely wealthy. Isaac even became wealthier. Isaac sowed in a famine and, reached a hundred, and reaped a hundredfold. God's not against wealth. He's just against you making it a God. So God made Abraham wealthy because Abraham wanted heaven. How I many know if you want heaven more than you want stuff, God goes, I can give you stuff because you actually want heaven. You, your treasure's in heaven so I can give you stuff because this stuff isn't your treasure. But how many know you can't even, if, 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 your, if your 900 square foot house owns you, God doesn't even want you to have that. How much can you have? You can have, a, you can have as much as doesn't distract you from your relationship with God. So how many believe that you can't outgive God? How many of you after this night are going to give like it? Okay, I'm still working on you all right here. There's a whole section that... <laughs> Hebrews 11.11. Uh, 11. I love this one. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. This is a very strange story. Because, did you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? So, remember that they couldn't have children, and then they got something, we don't know what the argument was, they got some kind of argument, and Sarah said, take Hagar, and let's see if that works for you. She might have been thinking that Abraham was the one with the physical problem. And then Hagar got pregnant. Remember that? And Sarah gets mad and throws Hagar out of the house. And then years later, God comes to Abraham. Sarah's in the kitchen cooking. And said, at this time next year, you're going to have a son. And Sarah hears God say that. And starts laughing. And God goes in and says, you laughed. She said, no, I didn't laugh. It's kind of like, you're lying to God. <laughs> okay, first you laughed, and then you lied. And Sarah received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time, since she considered him faithful who had promised. I mean, when did that happen? When did that happen? Because the story I read, she laughed, then she lied, and God goes, okay, you're going to call him Isaac. Laughter. God says, we'll see who gets the last laugh. Every time you look at your son, you're like, oh, I was wrong about that one. <laughs> you're going to remember that I was right about that. Then when God, then in the new covenant, God goes, and Sarah was so, what is it? I'm sorry. Back off. <laughs> she considered him faithful who had promised. 
How many know love rewrites your history? You'll tell your story, oh, things were so bad, God's all, oh, I don't remember it that way. Let me tell you your story. And when God tells your story, it sounds a lot more like him than you. And God starts telling you your story through his perspective because you are in him. And when he starts telling your story, it actually sounds like his faithfulness, not your, not my faithlessness. And God is faithful, even more faithless, because he can't deny himself. You are himself. You are the body. How many of you like to conceive and you haven't been able to and you're married? <laughs> Would you stand? You want to conceive. You haven't been able to conceive. Stand right now. If, you're, if your wife's not here, it's okay. Stand. We know, we know it isn't you. We understand that. We're, we're adults here. Yes, you haven't been able to conceive. Would you stand right now? Anyone else? Okay, and all those who are standing by iBethel TV, and by the way, the rest of you better just go like this because you, you might not want to have children, and then you just start having children, you know, in your 70s, you know? <laughs> so you might want to be in this chairs going, I don't receive this for myself. <laughs> so Lord, we just release right now that anointing that was on Sarah to conceive, even beyond the proper time and without the proper conditions and past menopause and all of that stuff, Lord. We just we release whatever the condition is onto these, the, these, uh, these families. We pray right now that you would fix it. That's <laughs> what you say when you don't know anything about anatomy. You just fix it in Jesus' name. And that you would be fruitful and multiply, which was the first command to mankind. Be fruitful and multiply. We pray for people that are watching by Bethel TV, that you would be fruitful and multiply too if you want to. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's an interesting uh, verse. Right in the middle of all these people who did these amazing things, it says this. And all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they had went out, they would have, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. Isn't it interesting? God talks about Sarah who received, the previous verse, Sarah received the ability to conceive and had Isaac beyond the proper time because she, she considered him faithful who promised. The next verse says, and all of these, speaking of Abraham and Sarah and all these previous people that we, that we read that all did these amazing things, it says, and all these did not receive what was promised for they had something, God had something better for them. I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting because Sarah received what was promised. Abraham received what was promised. These people we are Enoch received what was promised. So all of these didn't receive what was promised. What are they talking about? Well, they received what they believed for, but what was promised to them through Abraham is that they would be fathers and mothers of nations. That they would literally be that they would literally disciple nations. The promise to Abraham, remember this? Go outside, Abram. What do you see? I see, I'll see stars. I'm seeing stars. <laughs> Start counting. Uno, dos, tres. I don't know what language you spoke, whatever. I'm sure it was different than that, though. 
I don't know how you do it in Hebrew, so I was just trying to be a little dramatic. You know, he gets to about 2,000, and God's all like, and then he's like, I don't know, too many. God goes, that's how your sons and daughters are going to be. You're going to have that many children. Wakes them up in the morning. Stars are gone. Abram, you see the sand? Yeah, count the pebbles. Oh, here we go again. (laughs) That's how many kids you're going to have, Abraham. And you're going to be the father, listen to this, of many nations. You're going to be the father of many... Listen, Abram was not the father of Israel. He was the father of many nations. Are you with me? But how many know that when he died, he had yet to receive the promise of being father to many nations? The promise through Abraham was that we would father nations. All these people received what they believed for, but they did not receive what they saw. And that is a city, a planet, a place of habitation, the kingdom coming. They saw these things from a distance, but they didn't receive them. You know why? Because God had something better for us. We'll talk about it in just a minute. But how many know that Jesus told us that we were to make disciples of all nations? How many know that promise actually was actually originally given to Abraham that he'd be a father to many nations. There's a bunch more. Turn to... Let's go to verse um, 30... Oops, I'm sorry. Wrong chapter. Thought it looked funny. Verse 39. It goes on to talk about Moses... And Rahab, and Bill talked today about the walls of Jericho, Joshua. I love this one about Rahab. I think, I'll, I, think I will just share this one. Well, I have 13 pages of notes, but we won't cover them. I love Rahab. God tells Joshua to go into the promised land, you know, into Canaan, and wipe out all the people because why? They didn't have the Holy Spirit within them, and God didn't want his people polluted with the, with in, the inhabitants the people who were serving other gods. And so God says to, to Joshua, Old Testament obviously, go in and kill everybody. But here's the one person I want you to leave alive, the prostitute. Now, if you were Joshua, who's the one person you'd want to make sure was dead? Would you not want the immoral people gone? I mean, God, are we not coming into the land and cleansing the land because of sin and you're leaving the most sinful person alive? And God says that Rahab had faith. And how did she show it? By giving the spies a place. And God considered her righteous. And she became, get this, the grandmother of David, the great, great, great grandmother of Jesus Christ. She's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. What did she do? By faith, get this, she gave the, the spies a room. I think that most of us walk in a ton more faith than we think we do. Rahab, all she did was hide the spies. And forever she's in the lineage of Jesus because she had one, and I'm sure there was more acts, but she had one recorded act, she hid spies. Some of us are like, oh, I'm so faithless, you know, I've never done a miracle. Have you ever hid a spy? Have you ever... didn't really work. 
You ever have that really good thought in your mind, but then when it comes out your face, you're like, no, I probably haven't. That's all right. You're going to heaven. Anyway, just forget what I said. Okay, shut up. Let's go on. All right. I want to finish with this last thought here. Verse 39. All these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Now, forget that chapter. there's a chapter break here, because that was in the original text. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's lay aside every encumbrance and the sin, everybody say sin, <clears throat> which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance, everybody say endurance, the race that's set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. For you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood, and you're striving against sin. Everybody say, striving against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood, and you're striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are uh, reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son who he receives. For For it is for discipline that we endure, that God deals with us as sons. For what son is there that whom his father does not discipline? If we are without discipline, then we, are, then we become partakers. I'm sorry. But if we are without discipline, of which we are all have become partakers, then we are illegitimate or bastard children, not sons. It goes on to say, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. And shall we not much more res- um, subject ourselves to the Father of spirits and live? I just want to finish with his thoughts. Still on the subject of faith... Actually, the whole subject begins in chapter 10. And in chapter 10, he's talking about coming out of sin. And he says this, that he, and I'm just going to kind of recap it in my words. He said that Jesus died on the cross, chapter 10, to release you from sin. He said that once you receive Jesus, and you receive his blood, and you've been enlightened, and you know the ways of God, if you turn back to sin, there's... Nothing else, like you got the best. Who's going to be able to help you? Like there isn't like, okay, here's a plan B. Here's some different kind of blood. Are you with me? So he's going, you're, you're really lost because you've been enlightened. You embraced the cross. You, you, you received salvation. You lived in it for a while. And now you went back into sin. And he says, God's got nothing else to help you. Jesus is it. There is no plan B. Like, okay, what's the next plan you have from heaven? Is there an, no, no, there's no angel. There's no one who's going to help you because God gave you his best help. And, the, and Hebrews says you stepped on the blood of Jesus. So that's the exhortation in chapter 10 is that end of, hey, don't step on the blood of Jesus. Our God is a consuming fire and you can come with confidence because of the blood of Jesus into his presence because of faith. Are you with me? So he said, here's his answer to, hey, don't step on the blood of Jesus and go back into sin. Embrace faith and by it, by faith, the fathers and mothers of old received righteousness by faith. Then he goes through this whole list of all these people who received righteousness by faith. And what's the exhortation? Don't go back into sin, 
people that w- people went before you, and they and and they they had victory because they believed. Are you with me? They believed, and therefore they didn't go back into that that thing that just pulls on us. Are you with me? So he goes, all these guys did it. You can do it. Sarah did it. Abraham did it. Moses did it. All these Old Testament guys, they all shunned the world and hung on to God, even though it was tough at times. Are you with me? Okay, so now he goes, now we have all these people surrounding us. And what are they doing? They're cheering us on. And what are they cheering us on for? So that we won't go back into the world and be entangled in sin. Are you with me? So the subject is faith, but the real subject is don't turn back to sin. These people who went before you didn't. And they reason, how they, the, way they, the way they shun sin is by faith. They receive righteousness by faith. They receive strength for, for, from God by faith. And they stayed strong by faith. Are you with me? So now he says, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which is the key, this is the key underlying root message that he has right now. And the sin which so easily entangles us. And then he said, listen, you're going to complain about, oh, life is so hard, sin's so hard. You know, I'm, I'm, trying, to like, I'm trying to get out of porn. I'm, I got the same sex attraction. He goes, listen, buddy, you have not resisted to the point of blood. How do I know that? You're reading this. <laughs> you are alive. So, you have not resisted to the point of death. So you can do this. And by the way, remember Jesus? <laughs> he did it. And he became an example for you who are struggling. And you're like, oh, I feel so disciplined. I feel like the Lord has convicted me of this sin I have. It's lying or maybe it's gluttony or what, whatever it is. It's like I have this thing and it's just like it's worn against me and and I feel conviction over it. I feel like the Lord's disciplined me. And he goes on to say, what son does the Lord have that he doesn't discipline? The fact that the Lord's disciplined you is a sign that you are a son, not a bastard. So he's speaking to the people. He's speaking to all of us when he goes, hey, you know, don't go back and say, man, it's so hard. Well, you haven't resisted to the point of blood. I always feel convicted. Well, what son is there that God doesn't convict? You're a son. That's why you're convicted. And the whole, and listen, chapter, chapter 11 is really about having faith to move away from the old life and not get back entangled in it again. And you can do it even though sometimes it's a war. And by the way, it's not a war in you, it's a war out there. <laughs> because how many know you are a new creation? So sin is not in you, it's out there trying to get you entangled. The entanglement's not from the inside, it's from the outside. It's trying to woo you away. And, then, and he's like, and the, the Hebrew writer is saying, I know that sometimes it's tough, but you haven't fought the fight to the death. You know the greatest temptation in the world? I'm going to tell you. You should write this down. The one you're in. People that have same-sex attraction, like, they have, you have no idea how hard this is. Oh, yeah, I do. You have a same-sex attraction? No, I don't. But there's no temptation that isn't common to people. Listen, you think yours is hardest because you have it. But you don't realize we all have things that we resist. And as we do, and, God, and as we resist them, God disciplines us because we're sons and we're growing, if you, if you will, through the suffering of discipline so that we can become 
all that God's called us to be. Like, this is the process. It's not like, you know, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream, down the stream. You don't row down the stream. Who wrote that stupid song? <laughs> the only thing you do when you're going downstream is use the oars to guide you. You don't row. <laughs> it's a very slow stream, I guess. I've never been on a stream like that. I can't swim. I fell out of the boat and they used me for entertainment for about 10 minutes before they rescued me. It's a true story. Charlie Harper and Kathy were laughing. Oh, look at him. Oh, look, he's trying to grab the oar. Look, he's trying to grab the oar. You can do it. Look, you're losing pounds. Stupid people. Put me in the boat. Not funny. I fell out of the boat. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the rest of the story. We were, we were going down the river, uh, in Trinity River, and we got in some white water, and I was like, whoo, and I was being all funny and turning my canoe around, and it rolled over upside down, and I fell out of it. So they thought I was being arrogant. I didn't. Well, I was until I wasn't. You know, there's, I think there's an ongoing thought at times that, I don't know, I won't be careful, but I, I don't want to do a life is tough message, unless it is. And there's just seasons where it seems like life is tough. And you have to just say, I have to say to myself, I am not a victim. And the only reason, and God has given me, fully equipped me for every good work. And because it's hard, doesn't mean that it isn't right. Well, God, you know the story so well. The children of Israel ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. From Egypt to the promised land at about one and a half miles per hour with 1.5 million people to 2 million people in the wilderness from Egypt to the Promised Land, going about 1.5 million uh, miles an hour. It's about 40 days' journey, give or take a few days. They took 40 days and turned it into 40 years. I don't think that you should make your trials shorter than God wants them to be. In other words, I think if you can figure out a way around the process, if you can go from the promise to the palace without the process, you can't stay there. Like, you actually need the process. But I, so I, I don't think you should shorten the process if you can, but I do think you can make it longer. <laughs> I think I can make it longer. I think you can turn what God said, hey, this is a process, into a lifestyle. God goes, you turn the process into a lifestyle. You know, some people don't have trials. Their life is a trial. If your whole life's a trial, I'm like, I'll be thinking about that. Like, I'd be thinking like, uh, you might be like an Israelite. You, you keep looking at... the topography you're like i think we've seen these trees before like last year (laughs) you know it's one thing to make a mistake and another mistake it's another one it's a different thing to make the same one over and over Do, do you know what i'm saying i mean the goal is to make different mistakes i don't even know if i agree with that either 
I love what, um, I can't even think of his name right now. It'll come to me probably when I'm done. But he said, there's no wisdom in the second kick of a mule. I mean, you get kicked one time, that's a mistake. You get kicked second time, that's a spirit of stupid. That's that, I'm going, you know, I, I'm, I'm in a movement. Man, that ain't a movement. That's called dizzy. What movement are you part of, dizzy? We see the same, well, we, could, we, we plotted the slam. We did a map. 25 years ago, we're still doing them out. So, by faith, you receive everything you need to ward off every temptation and to have victory. And sometimes it's hard, but you haven't resisted. I haven't resisted to the point of blood. And by the way, sometimes God disciplines us and it feels tough. It's like, welcome to the family. You're not an orphan. And one of the ways you're not a, you know you're not an orphan is that you're called a disciple, which means you're like, I want to be a Christian. I don't have Christians here. I only have disciples. <laughs> Jesus never called you a Christian. He called you a disciple. You know why? Because the foundation of your life is that you will be disciplined. You know why? Because you are a son. And all sons and all daughters get disciplined. It doesn't seem to be good at first, he said, but it yields the fruit of righteousness. Would you stand? Now, if you need encouragement, you listen to Bill's message in the morning. <laughs> and we're all probably thinking, I wish we would have had this one first and Bill second. Why don't you put your hand on your heart right now and just say, I was created, I was created to, be a world changer, to be a world changer. And God's given me everything Every promise, I need, every promise I need, and all the strength I need, all strength and all the grace I need, all the grace I need to, succeed to succeed in life, in life and, in the and in the kingdom. And right now, I just receive, right now, I just receive the identity that I am a son and daughter. I'm not a victim. I'm a child of the king. And as such, I've got these promises of the kingdom of God extending itself into my world until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God. And so I, I set myself as a receiver of God's promises. All the promises that previous generations hoped for are coming to us in this generation. And I receive them. I want to be ready for them. And I want to be righteous for them. So Lord, do your work in my life so that I'm full of faith that I become a holy servant of God and I embrace fully your sonship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.